But that was another, that was the whole era of the Uber four, right? And it was like, yeah. yes. all right, Uber for storage, Uber for deleting for shit. And then the Banner Man, which came out in the era of when Game of Thrones was coming up. It's like, who doesn't want to be like, I need a security guard app. We used to, it was better than, that was the era. I How just remember connected? we used to pay the. How are those two? It's all app How buttons for Thrones? things. Button for okay. things in the real world. And I just, I remember, so you know, when, you when we started buttons for things in the real world and multiples. That's what we were thinking. What's, what more do you need to know? <laughs> That's all, that How do you think venture idea. capital works? Buttons for things. <laughs> you know, I, it we remains a forward. mystery. It remains a mystery. Listen, we can zoom forward to 2023 where it's just LLMs for things. Well, hello, COVID people. How are the Morins doing? Morins are not doing very well. Morins are down. Morins are down. Another reminder that we show up. We show up no matter what for more or less. The Rona won't get you down. And Dave doesn't have a sinus infection. No, I'm good. Sinus infection turned into the Rona. We'll see if Britt's uh, brain fog gets her through this. I've got brain fog. I've got a weird voice. I've got, I don't know, general haze. <laughs> well, so I'm sorry if I say anything dumb. Thanks for joining. We appreciate it. The listeners of More or Less appreciate it. And we have a really important episode coming up. So hello to everyone out there listening. Thanks for listening. I'm Jessica Lesson, the founder of The Information, here with The Morins and the Lessons, uh, Britt and Dave. And Sam, who doesn't have COVID. So that's great. Yeah. Not that I know of. The strains if come you have brain you fog, guys. may I suggest Diet Coke? <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's a good segue, Jess, because originally... I'm just proud to have made it this far. This this virus came from China, so... Uh, oh, my God. Right now you have just gotten us banned from every podcast platform. <laughs> <laughs> You've just gotten us banned from every podcast platform. Why? So... <laughs> You know, have you not been paying attention? All these warning labels are going to pop up and conspiracy theories. But no, in sticking to the world of technology and Silicon Valley, um, there has been some very important China news this week, and we're going to get into it. There's also, though, there's been important AI news. There's been important deal news. The what I will fondly call the Brit Morin fire sale M&A train that you predicted has come to town. We've seen parade and underwear company sell. We've seen clutter, um, a storage company, uh, Sam and I actually, I think got our stuff out of in the nick of time. Where did they, they do sell all of your stuff? stuff. Yeah. It they sold your stuff as collateral. <laughs> that would be hilarious. If like, I'm used <laughs> to losing money. Us that bench for our wedding. We can't put it in oh there. Oh my no. God. <laughs> that would be we such a great that. way for them. If they basically just ransomed all the stuff in clutter to like save the company. That would be awesome. Um, I don't (laughs) think that was our strategy separately. We had a clutter lesson liquidation strategy before I saw that the information broke the news about clutter's liquidation strategy. Wait, Sam, how many of these companies did we invest in? I feel like we invested in a lot (laughs) of these storage companies. (laughs) (laughs) No, we, well, we, we, I remember we talked to all of them. We passed on the LA one. What was that one? That's the other one. The one that's yeah, I think we invested in the New York one. We invested in the New these, York for one. For everyone a little listening, bit of money. these are companies that aim to make, think like 1 800 storage, whatever, you know, but like techified. So they take you. pictures of your stuff and they're storing it for you, but you've got pictures. So therefore, it was a beautiful vision. Was it beautiful? Was the, look, everyone, look, we also invested in, in my, Dave, the incubation. I think you started Delete which was 1-800-GOT-JUNK, where you just take a picture of it and it's just gone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was, so that was amazing. Still a great idea. That was a great era. Was that so was a good. great era of, I just want an app to remove things and I just want an app because I don't want it in my house. And like, yeah. you know, the, there used to be multiples associated with these things. The, re- the, <laughs> the remote control button for everything in your life. Era. So what do we do now? How do we survive? I love the idea. 
Dave, we can talk about. It, but I just do. Do you remember in the early days of BSing about um, about delete? Was the idea of you like walk down the street? And you're like, I don't like that car. Just delete it. Delete that car. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you don't own that car. It's like yeah, but just delete it. Just delete it. <laughs> this was reminding me as we go down the nostalgic lane of businesses you guys funded that were ridiculous. What was the one where you could press a button and a security guard would show up and just like ah, stand uh, outside of your house? Bannerman. 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 Okay. How's that one doing? That was dead. Oh, is <laughs> dead. it? I thought they had yeah, a good B2B to be- business going. No, they tried to create like a security guard software platform to compete with Securitas. It didn't didn't quite get there. But that was oh. another that was a whole era of the Uber for, right? It was like, yeah. yes. all right, Uber for storage, Uber for deleting shit. And then the banner man, which came out in the era of when Game of Thrones was coming up. It's like, who doesn't want to be like, I need a security guard app? We used to it was better than that was the era. I How just remember we used to pay the How are those two? It's all app buttons for things, button for things in the real world. And I just, I remember, you know, when when we started buttons for things in the real world and multiples. That's what we were thinking. What what more do you need to know? (laughs) How do you think venture capital works? Buttons for things. (laughs) You know, it remains a mystery. It remains a mystery. Listen, we can zoom forward to 2023 where it's just LLMs for things. Yes. Yeah, it's going to be the same outcome. But I will tell you that, yep. that I just remember in the early days of the, the mistake, the biggest mistake I ever made with the buttons for things was, you know, early, we were very early to having an office in Dumbo when it was super sketchy. And our original version of Bannerman was we'd pay the homeless guy around the corner to prop the door open of 68 J Street <laughs> to have parties. And so I was like, oh, well, so it's like go? that, but a button. <laughs> Actually, that was great. That was great. That, that guy well. did an amazing job. Oh, I met a lot of great people plopping that door open for 20 bucks. Um, but, you know, it turned well, out that the people didn't need a button for that. Yeah. Well, we're seeing that people don't need a lot of things. And this is, I'm sure, a theme <laughs> we will return to many, many times on the More or Less pod as we kind of really see the next phase of, of uh, I don't know, wipeouts, um, perhaps. I mean, one, just to continue my my team this information team has been crushing it this week we've broken all this news and i'm just going to tell you cadre you guys remember cadre oh yeah right we were investors mm-hmm. <laughs> i love it i didn't know that yeah um, Sam and but this I were was, investors. You know, jared kushner i think andreessen horowitz was going to let anyone Low invest ventures. in commercial commercial real estate 800 million dollar valuation Likely selling to Yield Street, according to the information team, for around 100, if that. So that's where we are, folks. This is the the moment we're in. And in other optimistic news. This is just one of many. I think that's the thing that um, I saw somebody from the information posting, that there's just a a lot going on in the back channels right now. Um, And we we seem to be at the point of reckoning. I I just think it's like the reckoning is all the things that, were kind of marginally working and it was like fine idea, but wasn't really there. It was just going to kind of get pushed along because it's reasonable. Like, yeah, you should be able to invest in commercial real estate easily. Sure. Right. But it wasn't like really didn't have connection. All this stuff on the margin is just getting cut. Right. And so it's like, it either has to be really working or is dead. There's no more like, eh, it's sort of working. It's a reasonable thesis. They're good people. Let's push it along. Right. No one has tolerance for that. This is a good point to push on here, which I think is not being talked about a lot in the news, which is that across the spectrum, whether it's, you know, at the Series A conversion or later on, like what Sam's saying is really true. It's either really working or it's not and things are dying. And I think that's like actually a new thing. We've been talking about this for a few years that this is what's going to happen when the rate regime changes and the economy adjusts. But it's actually happening, and um, I think this is a new thing for quite a few people that um, you know may have just started investing in the more recent years. What does working look like? Like, what's the bar for working from the perspective of VCs? I think you need real product market fit. You need real customers. You need real growth in customers, real growth in revenue, um, and it, it can't just be hand wavy. Like, there has to be real brass tacks metrics. Like I think you used to be able to get through a series A with a story, right? Like there's this old saying, there's nothing like data to fuck up a good story. Um, And that was this joke amongst entrepreneurs and venture capitalists, um, you know, around the series A realm. It used to be that like, 
you could get through a Series A still on story. I don't think that's the case anymore. And I actually think a lot of people in the seed market are asking this question of what does produce a Series A and looking down down the pipe um, and asking this pretty serious question, which is how do you deploy seed checks if you don't know what is going to you know unload the Series A uh, and beyond? And I know we've talked about a version of this before, but I think these decisions are really actually starting to happen. At least that's what we're seeing. Well, and I'm also like surprised to hear about how many startups are just frankly trying to be profitable by Series A so that they can control their destiny. And, you know, that certainly wasn't the way of the world when we were starting companies 10 years ago. And, um, you know, a lot of them are able to achieve it. So, you know, therefore they can control their destiny, even if their growth rate isn't as dynamic as some of the other companies who are making it, quote unquote, they at least have more time to flesh it out. Yeah, I mean, I, I was talking to a company uh, that we're all investors in through different channels this last week. And, you know, the, the question was, look, we have plenty of burn. We can, you know, we could take a few million dollars and maybe get to like nine or 10 next year, or we could take nothing. We're pretty sure we get to seven. The old story was like, obviously take the money, like go find the rent, like whatever. And now it's like, look, that I honestly, if you told me like take dilution, deal with more investors, whatever for the extra, unless someone's coming to eat your lunch, why would you not just like grow more off the cash you have, right? And like prove it versus getting into these things. And, and it is interesting. I think that you talk about the Series A bar, like there's a lot of companies that even can be profitable or look really good, especially with subscriptions or whatever, without a cash infusion. But there's going to be a Pied Piper because you have to grow faster and faster to keep up with whatever subscription, whatever it is. Like there's like, you know, there are reasons yeah. why, like, yes, it looks good today, but it won't look good unless we get the funding companies are pivoting to, no, 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 it actually is good, right? Like, I don't need you. Series A becomes an option when it happens, as opposed to it being a thing on a timeline. Yeah. Good uh, thing. And this sounds positive. This is a yeah. good thing, right? It's a good thing. This is healthy. Honestly, big picture. Who, who, who All gets this... hurt in this game? Uh, Thinking like a journalist here. I think you're focused on the right, you already, you already nailed it. The people downstream that were playing the prior model. Um, and, you know, usually way further downstream, right, in the later growth rounds that, you know, frankly, put too much capital to work, uh, uh, you know, under the prior regime. And a lot more founders and teams, obviously, if the death rate's higher because it's binary. Yeah. But, uh, but here's the thing. If you want to take on the other side of this, though, you say, look, those founders and teams, they're great people. Redeploy them into things that are going to work. Right. The, the worst case scenario is you waste a decade of someone's time on something that's not going to work. Right. And so the reality yeah. is, I actually think it's like rip the band aid off if you're on the margin, if it's not working. Like it's actually kind of disingenuous and bad that VCs and everyone's giving you rope you shouldn't have had. Right. To keep things alive that should be dead in the grand scheme. Right. Like so I actually founders and um, employees of early startups, they're better off. If it's not working, fold and go do something else that's better. Like, I think there's no shame in that. It's one of the beauties of Silicon Valley and our economy as it's set up is like, this is a no fault zone. Unless, you know, so don't lie. Don't make shit up. It's either working or not. And you probably know, right? And if it's not working, it's completely fine. And like, don't worry about your investors. People are always like, oh, but I'm going to hurt my investors. Like, they don't care, right? Like, what matters, it's yeah, like, I they get to, to make a bunch of bets. Hmm. To push on that a little bit, I do think that um, the process of managing through what you just described, Sam, is still uncharted and not talked about enough, right? The psychology of going through failure, like I just had a company that, uh, you know, ha is, is going through this process right now. And I basically said, uh, you know, very compassionate version of what you just said, Sam, but, you know, the psychology of of laying down the sword and, uh, you know, taking some time to regroup and then go at it again can be very difficult for people. Um, and so I think that's why you see, you know, it, it takes a long time sometimes for people to come back around and try again. Whereas I kind of wish we were a little bit more, uh, aggressive in how we talk about this and telling folks like, look, like it is a no, or what did you say? A no fault zone. And this is what we do. And everyone on the investing side anyway, this is what we sign up for. We know this game. We watch it happen over and over and over and over again. Um, and it doesn't get talked about enough. And people, I think, 
wallow for a long time sometimes in their failure and their, um, I think feeling bad that they let down their investors, let down, you know, all the people around them rather than just saying, well, I'm an athlete. I'm going to get back out on the field and it's try It's also again. hard to know. I, I mean, I think maybe it isn't, but like it, what success looks like at that stage for that company isn't, um, isn't necessarily clear, right? You know, if you have momentum, right, you know what growth is, but yes. It's hard to yeah. know, should I be growing at 50% or 70% or 30%? Like, that's hard. I've always been a little jealous of the Hollywood industry in the sense that, like, even A-list actors can star in a film that bombs um, and they just move on to the next film, you know? And and so yeah. it's like this really cut and dry, like, oh, that didn't work. I'm going to go to the next one. And then that one yeah. blows up. And like, and the and, capital uh, stacks behind these films that fail are enormous sometimes. Yeah, they lose a lot of money, but they just know that, I mean, as do we, like the win-loss rate of films is, you know, I don't know, effectively probably the same as startups. Um, and and there's no, still A-list it actors. Might be the, 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 problem, the win-loss rate might be similar, but the problem is that for the Hollywood world is even with whatever is the Barbies of the world, the uppercase scenario isn't big enough, right? Which makes our jobs way more profitable than theirs, right? Like, um, I, I will say- Sure, but look, then you the, would argue that we should be even more like them. Yeah, there is, there is no 1,000x in Hollywood, right? There's 100x, right. maybe. Even I don't Barbie actually know the number, isn't but 1,000x, like, but- and so it's it's not like I think that's the thing with Hollywood is it's a similar thing. But I do agree with your your point, which is I do wish like the the analogy I always use is in Hollywood. Let's pretend you're running a half marathon. You know where the end is. The thing ends and then you see what the times are and you can go run another half marathon. The problem with Silicon Valley style entrepreneurship, it's like running an ultra marathon where you can give up at any point. Right. And the problem with running an ultra marathon, we can give up at any point, but there's no clear ends to the race. Right. Is like every every step you be like, oh, shit, I should stop. Right. But like it's not like it's a defined distance to run. And like as a result, it's actually the psychology of when to stop or when you're losing is extremely difficult. Right. Versus it being like it's a quarter mile. It's a half marathon. We know where the end date is. Right. And like the the, right. the, the, the dual psychology of, oh, you're an ultra marathoner. Yeah. So you have to keep running, right? That's part of the fucking game versus yeah. the you're losing hit restart, right? Is like, I think one of the hardest things to figure out, right? And the good news is, I think the reality is, is when the capital is more demanding, it's kind of like having the race officials be like, no, you're losing. You should go you should go restart, right? Like there's more aggression on that versus being like, eh, everyone should keep running, <laughs> right? So at least there's a nice external yeah. factor to force you. So I read a good book on quitting that might be a worthwhile plug here. Someone suggested it at a conference and it's by uh, Annie Duke, a poker, former poker player. And mm. I just highly recommend it. The power of knowing when to walk away. What did you learn? I learned her thesis to sum the book up for everybody is that we've sort of, we've stigmatized quitting in a bad way, but when seen as like, exercising our optionality and picking something else, it's actually something that kind of should be celebrated. Um, and so that's sort of the opening premise. And then she actually goes into a lot of things she learned from poker, which are just kind of fascinating and about loss minimization and that kind of stuff. But the overall premise is like, we kind of need to rebrand quitting as just valuing something else and choosing to do something else. And um, you know, the, the most, like, there's so many vivid examples of Sam, you will like this book, um, of people who like almost get to the summit of some mountain and they're always faced with the, like, you know, the weather turns bad and like, do you go back? Right. And, and so it, it's a, it's a good read. Highly, highly recommend. And, um, I think in this moment may just be the book that many founders out there, uh, need to read. So, let, let's expand a little here and zoom out. And one of the things I know we've been talking about this week, our friends have been talking about this week, is um, a new executive order from the Biden administration. Uh, so we, we've seen this ratcheting up in the trade war with China. Obviously, technology is at the center of it. The U.S. Um, fiercely wants to kind of protect our sensitive technology, uh, including 
AI and semiconductors. We've, we've seen uh, the CHIPS Act, which um, promoted huge subsidies for, for people who invest um, in, in the industry in the U.S. But what happened this week was the Biden administration is now saying, you know, U.S. investors, you cannot invest in China AI, China semis, I think China quantum, and maybe something else. And so I, I'm curious what you guys think. Anecdotally, I find p- people pretty divided on uh, maybe, I, I don't know, actually, I won't, I won't prejudge it. But um, I guess, A, you got, would you have any interest in investing in those areas? But, but even if not, like, what do you make of, I, I hate, everyone says decoupling. It's not decoupling. We're separating. We're breaking up. Um, but like, what do you make of what's happening? Brett, to you. Oh boy. <laughs> oh, it's a boy. big one for me with COVID right now. Um, yeah, Sorry, I mean, I, the brain fog. I know the brain fog and everything else. I mean, I think that there's a lot to unpack here about, you know, the geopolitical factor between the U.S. and China overall. Um, I feel like the U.S. has gone after China starting with like TikTok bans and things like that. And so like, I just feel like we're playing like the, I don't understand the strategy here. I, like there's I don't think it's actually going to do that much damage to China to like not invest in in their companies and to like, you know, do these little things when China already is like one of the biggest trade partners to the rest of the world. Like they we literally owe them a trillion dollars in in debt for our country. Like there's just so much that um, they are still in power of. And so it's, I think it's fine. Like, sure, it's good that we're not investing in Chinese companies. But I think Dave had a really interesting point about like the difference between atoms and bits between the US and China. Maybe Dave, you can expand Ooh. on that a little bit. I've always liked this theory of yours. Yeah, this has been a, <clears throat> a hobby horse of mine for some time. Sam and I have been debating. Um, <clears throat> but you know, a lot of the conversation is around the trade of atoms-related technologies, right? We're talking about microchips. We're talking about various goods and services that are easy to put trades, sanctions, tariffs, all these sort of different diplomatic tools that we can use to try to control the flow of these things. But relatively never do we talk about the digital trade imbalance, right? Our bits, as they flow out of our internet companies, literally hit a brick wall when they get to the Chinese border. And yet Chinese internet companies can, you know, develop enormously huge market caps and monopolies and technologies inside of Chinese borders. They can then take those bits and flow them all over the world, not, you know, not just in the United States, but everywhere. And the conversation in the United States often ends up being this one of, uh, you know, well, TikTok is this like, you know, crazy problem for the youth of America. And nobody really talks about it from an economic perspective, that there's an enormous trade imbalance at the bits level of the internet, and that we aren't doing anything to, you know, affect this. And these companies tend to create enormous leverage using our population. They convert that into capital, and then they often take uh, you know, equity positions in more internet companies, right? Uh, you know, I think Snap and, you know, many others had large, you know, Chinese uh, capitalization. And so <clears throat> you end up in this like really weird virtuous cycle on the bits side of the balance sheet, which is something that I've always been really interested in, like why it's just not even part of the conversation. I've tried to push it quite a bit. But well, we're talking about, I mean, the government's very con- seriously considering banning TikTok. So, yeah, but do we even have the tools to do that? I think that's like actually the real policy question. Like, you know, do we even have the tooling to like what is a what is a ban really? I mean, like, it sounds can, like Dave, you're, but just to push on this a little bit, like you're saying, like we should also erect the Great Wall of censorship now, or or of of ge- geopolitical censorship, right? Like, not yeah. saying that the and that I don't want like, to make this a freedom of speech issue. Like, that's not at all what I'm suggesting here. That's why I think it's important to think of it as bits, literally bits flowing through the internet. Like, what is the balance of bits? Like, what is the balance of trade bits between the two countries? And is it wildly imbalanced? And I think that it is. Like, if we could measure it, um, it, you would find an enormous imbalance. And it's just a question worth asking, independent of the freedom of speech and censorship sort of questions that 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 it also arises. Sam, what do you think? I think it's a miracle that the internet ever existed as openly as it did. Um, 
globally. And today's point about the flow of bits and, and kind of how we treat IP, you know, um, and, you know, it's not a normal configuration of the world, right, for that to be the case, yeah. for, for the borders to for be sure. so low and so open. Um, you know, if you go back to the founding of America, we stole all this IP from England, like literally like in suitcases, like entrepreneurs taking taking key innovations and like literally walking across borders with them, you know, sewn into suitcases, right? Like that, you don't have to do that anymore. But I do think like, you know, historically- Wait, what was sewn countries, into suitcases? Oh, we stole the designs for everything, for like locomotives and weaving machines and everything. There's this whole got era it, of just like mass American theft of British IP, right? Um, you know, as we were an up and coming power. and. You know, I think there's no question that, you know, China has stolen a lot of IP from us or just taken it because we posted it on the Internet for free. Right. Yeah. In like various forms. And like stealing is kind of a, a spectrum on that type of stuff. Right. But I think that, you know, the the idea that, you know, you can take without giving. Right. Um, which is, I think, what Dave is kind of pointing on. Right. Like we give they they take is like is a challenge, like from a historical perspective. You know, I think the, the problem is, is that the U.S. is so dramatically benefited globally from a truly open Internet because we had all the talent and platforms. So, like, we're a super like a world where everyone uses American Internet companies, Europe, et cetera. That's a pretty exciting world for us. Like, it's, you know, we might not be exported. We might not, you know, have the Marshall Plan and have physical dominance the way we once did. But, and, you know, culture is getting complicated, but we do control all the Internet companies still, right? Europe obviously grates at that, has put up their own versions of, of constriction restrictions on that. You know, a lot of the, the real story of GDPR, the real story of a lot of this stuff is, you know, Europe trying to get protectionists around, you know, internet access and the flow of bits. China from day one was like, we're not letting your bits in, right, to some degree. And we kind of learned to live with that for a while. But as they went from being kind of a relative backwater on this stuff to a global player, Right. And we're worried about the new global player. We're worried about a global Internet full of AIs that some of which we control, some of which we don't. They are a legitimate player in the space. I think yeah. it just gets complicated. Right. And look, again, I, I I grew up with the open Internet and saw it as this incredible dream. Right. This incredible moment where humanity, not intentionally, but by effectively a very fast growing system with good fundamental bones and some missing pieces, was able to let people globally speak freely Right. Um, and, you know, have this incredible potential future, right, where every, you know, forget passports. We all had real identity that was trusted and global and we could communicate freely with each other, et cetera. And that was a great dream. I think the reality is, is that regulation and reality is caught up in a lot of ways. And it's not quite so black and white. You know, there is some nuance to this. But, you know, the regionalization of the Internet and the regionalization of information especially as that stuff becomes a true power is, is not shocking is what I basically say. So We're just kind of going back a, to the way it was. But it's a big question of how that regionalization plays out. Right. So, you know, for our first more or less pull of the episode, like should TikTok be banned in the U S right? So are you more in favor of a ban or are you for a more ban or less ban? I'll make it a jump ball, but everyone's going to answer. So. I'm uh, more more for TikTok ban. Um, I think that there's a lot of data and facial uh, recognition and all kinds of technologies that China is potentially building upon without you know real knowledge and consent. Um, and I also just think it's terrible for mental health. But I think Sam loves TikTok, so I bet he's <laughs> less well, banned. Let Sam speak. Sam, defend. Do you love TikTok? So I did love TikTok. I uninstalled it like a year ago, and I think it's great, largely because my basic view is that Facebook and everyone else copied the formats well enough that I don't think you need it anymore. Like, I think there was a moment where they had a monopoly on the format, and it, they were the best at it. They still are probably better at it in, in certain niches, but, like, they're not dramatically enough better at it that it really matters anymore, is basically what I would say. Like, the same content is basically everywhere. Um, look, I think that whether or not to ban TikTok is incredibly complicated i don't i don't like my gut is ban it because it's the most obvious first order thing to do right like to say like it is a foreign enormous media tool right and forget the data side i think just on the strict like do you want the chinese with which clearly they've nationalized it to some degree of national control over it being able to reach into every american teenager and tell them stuff whenever they choose or bias algorithm the answer is no like and especially 
The problem is that I think it's a very hard argument for us to make doing that and then defending our internet platforms everywhere else, right? Because the second we do that, Europe is going to say very rightfully, do we really want the American internet platforms having control over, you know, you know, especially as Elon goes off the rails, right? Like, how do we feel about this stuff? And, and I, I think that, I think this goes back to my thing about the internet being a wonderful dream of openness um, mm. that is really a challenging moment. It's it partly why from a first principles perspective, I think people miss how important crypto is. Right. And, you know, we'll continue to is like, it is the saving potential grace to a truly open internet um, is crypto directionally, you know, solid identities, distributed systems. You can't centralize power in these platforms long-term without an incredible bulwark of support around them um, and national support around them. And I think, you know, people are rightly understand the power of the internet. They understand the power of AI compounding that in theory and borders are going up. Dave. Uh, Well, I guess I think I already answered the question, which is I'm all for way more. I I, I guess to me, it's not about banning. I, I want way more digital trade balance, right? Like I would love for us to have far more sophisticated tools to affect the digital trade um, between the two countries, TikTok, whatever, right? Like whatever is flowing into our borders. Um, I agree with all of the, you know, the higher, I guess, higher or higher level uh, things that everyone's saying, which is that like, you know, do we want uh, Chinese propaganda affecting, you know, millions of people, in, in, if not hundreds of millions of people inside of our country? Absolutely not. I mean, I see the effects of this every day. My workout studio is there are people who are affected by TikTok and the this sort of propaganda. It's really frustrating. So what you know, kind of propaganda? You know, whether it's uh, what just happened in Hawaii, which is absolutely awful and horrible. You know, they they walk into the studio sort of saying that it was a, you know, it's a government conspiracy. They burned it down intentionally, like, you know, a bunch of stuff saying, like this. Do you think China's behind those conspiracies? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they are or not, but the, the okay. platform but is run. Yeah, the platform is run and, and controlled, you know. Um, you could probably find those conspiracies on YouTube or yeah, it would absolutely. be my guess. And that's why I'm saying, like, X- I don't. I prefer not to think of this at that level. To me, this is more of a, you know, international digital trade question. And I, I would go even further to say that I wish America would begin to extend digital identity to all of its citizens and yes. that it would extend identity to people even outside of America, you know, into uh, if if people are in regimes where the regime is collapsing and they need a digital identity that is trustworthy and based on American values, like we should be willing to extend that to people uh, ahead of citizenship. And, 100%. you know, I think to Sam's point, like we should really be willing to take this way further than we are. And I think you're right. Like, should Europe, you know, be worried that American internet companies have dominance and Elon's gone off the rails or whatever? Like, yes, maybe. But I think that like we have a reasonable track record of, of around a value set that the world does believe in and has produced great and enormous value for all of its citizens. And so the idea that like we could take our digital powers and our, you know, our digital identity and our ability to enforce this kind of digital trade question way further than we are today. To me, like that's one of the greatest mores, I guess I could communicate, I could strongly communicate. I couldn't agree more with Dave on this. And this is like Dave and Sam topic number 87 of decade long (laughs) discussions. But it's like, to me, you just kind of the other version, the one version of the internet, which would be the beautiful dream is human. It's open it's equal. Everyone has access to it. Everyone has identity. You can talk to anyone on earth and trust it. And that's beautiful. And like, that is a dream, very hippie utopian, but seemed real reasonable and probable possible at one point. The other version is we acknowledge reality. We say, Hey, there are spheres. There's Europe internet. There's America internet. There's China internet. And the cool part of saying, Hey, how, how, what would the future look like where you said globally, forget physical citizenship, Step one is if you want to be an American digital citizen, no matter where you live, you submit certain information, you set up a certain profile, you agree to certain terms, you get access to American digital services. Company creation in Delaware, bank accounts, bank accounts, access to talk to America. Like you can imagine like a true American internet sphere. 
And then what would be really cool is imagine if we said, hey, the onboarding to physical citizenship, like you actually want to come to the United States is crush it as a digital citizen for a decade, right? Yep. And like, if you crush it in our digital sphere, then like the citizenship path becomes like the physical citizenship Super becomes obvious. come on over. But like, yep. you could be like, Doesn't hey, this dramatically digital. reduce the opportunities for U.S. businesses? No, I think it dramatically expands them, right? It creates a, it, a, a, whole, a whole world other world of a million digital curtains. Like, do we really? So I, 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 I think it's already I, happening, though, Jess, to Sam's point. Like, this is what ca- the world yeah. is. Well, it is, but a question I have, look, I am not in favor of a flat out TikTok ban, but I am in favor of like a more like domicile domestic, like data regime, right? Like I think that, you know, the Ellison plan. technology should be able to, yes, the Ellison <laughs> plan, Project Texas. The Ellison plan. Apparently they've done this much of it, but it sounds yeah. great in congressional testimony, but Which, like, by the way, is the I same with chips. Like, we've done this much. Yes. You know? No, yeah. I know. But that's, but like, intellectually, I'm not going to like root for a world where the answer is just like firewalls or, or, or for, but I also think that there are legitimate concerns around security and, and other values, right? Uh, around national interests that, you know, smart people, should be able to figure out with technology. But I don't think the answer is like, is turn, you know, creating the kind of barriers that exist in the physical world and the digital world. So I agree with you, Jess. And I think this is one of those unfortunate places where like nuance is actually the answer, right? Um, It's not so black and white. It makes it much harder to discuss, makes it much less buzzy on Twitter, right? Makes it much, but it's like less of an engineering solution because it is going to be, what international relations actually is, which is a bunch of pairwise, delicate balance type compromises that are really hard for, those don't compute well in technology, right? It's not a clear if-then tree, right? With like the well, they don't compute it's well just, in the press or in, you know, They don't compute well anywhere, but they're, they're actually the right. but not. Well, that's, I mean, what was the, the Diplomat TV show? Excellent. That entire Great world, show. the entire Great world show. of like razor thin needle threaded we're frenemies that nuance doesn't doesn't work right in these types of conversations and i agree it's the actual answer that we probably should be running but if you're going to talk about it in the easy to compute podcast world right and like go to the extremes i do think like the two extremes are truly open which by the way would be the best answer for america because a truly open world where we happen to have most of the dominant companies great for us The second we don't have that, right, option B, which is the complete other end of the spectrum, which is total balkanization, use our dominance to bring all the best people into sphere America and just acknowledge reality for what it is, is like another logical conclusion. But yes, I think in any practical scenario, we don't have the we're not going to do that, right? Like America is not going to build America Internet. If we were going to do it, we would have done it 20 years ago. We don't have anywhere near the will or ability or organization to pull that off, right? Um, so it's just, even though it's intellectually fun, it's never going to happen, right? Like we missed that window. And on the other end, like pure openness is clearly no longer sustainable. And so the answer has to be the diplomat and it's going to be really messy and really annoying and really hard to talk about. Which is, I think, why we end up where we are, right? Like we're trying to control what we can control, right? We can control chips, we can control you know, TSMC, we can control capital, we can control like, you know, there's like these things around the edges of all of this that we or, can or at least we can build enough resilience right on our own to make other actions impossible like we can say like look we're not gonna have fully resilience whatever but like we kind of do need enough of our own chip fabs so that the credibility of taking yeah, away we're nowhere where we to need chip, to be like not well, even close. Point is like that's just a that is not a actual thing we should ever have to use but merely having enough independence that we're not that someone else doesn't have a trigger to our heads in a very practical way is just like a reasonable thing to do from a diplomacy perspective, right? I guess like, like there's a cost on, you pay for that. On this front, like yeah. I just wish we would go further on all of this stuff, right? Like I was talking to somebody who is on the board of a uh, semiconductor company uh, in Texas. I'll let you guess which one. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were saying that this Chips Act stuff was just kind of a joke. Like these guys are already planned, you know, 
many years out in terms of their fab construction, right? To like Hmm. be moving along these fab timelines, right? Like the semiconductor industry is one of the most competitive, fastest moving, absolute most execution oriented industries on the planet. And so these guys are planned out like 10 years into the future. Like they know exactly how many fabs they're building. They know what they're building in the United States. Like for America to show up with like tens of billions and say like, please build more faster is like kind of a drop in the bucket to these guys. And so, and that apparently was the response in the back channels of the industry. They were just like, yeah, okay, cool. Like what, this isn't really going to actually change our plans that much. And so I guess I'd love to see us just do like dramatically more. It seems like semiconductors in particular are this incredible pivot point on both the technological and geopolitical thing with Taiwan and all this stuff and TSMC. And like, why aren't, I just, I don't understand why we're not marshalling like a Manhattan project level thing here. If it really is as I just think it's a question. It's just think, yeah, I just feel like the question is like, how much are you willing to spend for that bargaining chip? Really? Right. And like, yeah. is the answer a trillion dollars? Is it a hundred billion? Like, unfortunately, it's a political answer, right? As much as it's anything else. I think people can stomach tens of billions, you know, for a chip that, again, we should never use. Like, it literally is just changes the dynamics of power to negotiating table, right? Like, what is that? Like, what are, what can we really, what can we really pay for that? Yeah. Right. I think is the question. I think what you're saying is we should pay a lot Which more. Which maybe for goes it. to show right. that, like, we're, we're probably far more intertwined. I mean, maybe that's what this comes down to is that actually we're just like deeply intertwined and we will be for like our entire lifetimes. And so it's all just kind of a political theater, right? Like this isn't that real. I think we just don't know, right? And and I think also the U.S. is trying to not provoke China uh, to do, I mean, like to be aggressive militarily. I mean, with Taiwan, like there, I think there's just a lot of. So these are little pokes and prods, like they're little pokes and prods. These measures are, I mean, I thought it was interesting. There was language in the announcement around the venture capital order that was like, we're not trying to like, I should pull it up, but it's like, we're not trying to separate. We're just trying to like, you know, improve ourselves. Right. Or, or just sort of like, Oh, it was de-risk, not decouple. Right. And, and I th- so to me, when I re- read language, that makes me think that there, there really is concern, some concern around provoking. Well, I would say um, this, though. I can't imagine because we need I can't them imagine. for so much. Well, I also say, like, I can't imagine. No one cares about American venture capital in China. It's irrelevant. Right. Like, it's not like. And private equity. Like, but yes. Other than American still, venture capitalists like, would love those LPs. <laughs> No, it's like, you're like, I mean, like, look, we're all run small funds, but even the biggest funds in the world are completely fucking irrelevant at the scale we're talking about, right? Like, it really, that I think does feel theater-like to me, right, to some degree. Like, this is like, no one's like, oh, shucks, I was going to go do all this China investing that was super important, and now I'm not, right? Like, it's just, that's not a thing, right? So, I don't think I mean, how Sequoia, I mean, that's fair because you guys haven't, Sequoia's tiny but like... But even... Even for them, in the spectrum not tiny. Of, I mean, mm, well, but like in the grand scheme of things, them. Jess, like I mean, China is a net capital exporter, right? Like to the to the point here, like you know, they send us far more capital than we send them. Uh, yeah, no, I agree, but I just also, I mean, I think that like you know, one of the things we talk about a lot on this pod is like how the playbook of the last ten years in venture has changed, and I think like the breakup of Sequoia because of this very issue, because it was untenable, this current structure, which was the majority of its profits, right? Um, it, it, you know, deserves a chapter in that story, right? That's super fair. I mean, I do think that there's this interesting thing playing out, which is that like for the last 10 years, anybody playing the game on either the venture or entrepreneur side would constantly hear China, right? It was China, China, China. Like even while I was running Path, you know, much of our geopolitical machinations were China, Southeast Asia. It was like all Asia related, right? And a lot of that's changed. Um, You know, we're hearing far more Middle East right now. We're hearing far more, you know, like there's there's just like capital flows are are very different right now. Um, And so to that extent, Jess, you're right. Things have changed. Yeah. But I think specifically the Sequoia and the thing is any check that Sequoia could write the Chinese can write for themselves 10 times over, right? They could be one-tenth of as effective as Sequoia. It's not a big deal. Like, it's just not that much money, right? It's, it's so, I think the capital flow thing just doesn't feel, I mean, again, it's fine. I I don't, it feels more like a, 
a press release than reality, right? From an impact perspective, right? Um, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, it seems mean less it, focused on capital, Sam, than it does focused on know-how, right? Like we're trying to restrict the flow of information and IP, right? right? Like that's at the end of the day, I guess that's kind of what we're talking about here is that like, this is sort of targeted at venture, but like venture carries IP and, you know, uh, knowledge and these types of things, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's a very high-minded view of venture. Okay, well, I think this would be very important. I mean, it's, (laughs) it's such a complicated issue, but it... I'm struck by like how much has changed over our, you know, relatively short careers in this industry. You know, I mean, I remember when I was hosting a develop the information. One of our first events was a conference of U.S. and Chinese developers, and one of the developers was Zhang Yuming, the founder of ByteDance, who then had a news reading app called Totiao, and he came and talked about it, and we hosted it at Facebook. And like wow. the idea, I mean, it's it's crazy. This was 2017, wow. um, and I mean, so that also so makes much me, has changed. There's this other question which we haven't talked about at all, which is kind of simple, which is that the pandemic really hit supply chains super hard. And it's like this weird thing. It's not really part of the narrative anymore. We're like back to talking about this as like this geopolitical thing. But like, I kind of wonder whether there's this like simple trauma that happened, right? Which is that like, mm. we, we, we all, particularly in venture and entrepreneur land, like we got really scared by the fact that like these supply chains just like seized up and stopped and yeah. that the factories that we were producing things in, it's almost like the geopolitical piece of it is kind of irrelevant. It's like this existential entrepreneurial crisis happened. And we're not really talking about it that way anymore. Um, We're back to talking about it in this other way. But I kind of wonder whether that's just like in the back of everybody's minds. And like, that's why people are like, man, if I'm going to start a new company, I should probably build the things here, right? Like, because what if that happens again? Yeah, that's an excellent point. I think it's a huge legacy of the pandemic that like, we're not confronted with in the same way, like our shipping is like kind of back to normal or whatever, but is is totally behind this. So, um, excellent. Well, I, I think I was gonna, we're gonna, I was gonna end with, with a little check-in on how we're feeling about large language models these days. Oh, you know, no. we like to, here we like to track in the hype cycle, the AI hype cycle, um, for our final segment, you know, we know where Sam Lesson stands on this. Um, uh, information had a good story this week. Why? Because about- Sam threw me under the bus publicly this week. No, yeah, well, come on, come on. I thought he was celebrating Listen, you. I was celebrating you. I was celebrating. Let's give the people the context, Dave. What was your LLM epiphany this week? Tell the the listeners. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what I was saying, but it was something it to was the, the effect Amazon. of, "Oh, it was that Amazon, you know, put out this big release that they've now added generative AI to the." product reviews. And uh, my point was that, aha, yet more proof that summarization is the only great use case of LLMs currently today. Because in the case of summarization, you have far less hallucination (laughs) issues. I think that's kind of what it comes down to is that like, when you're reducing text, you have a a lot more narrow, uh, you know, area for mistakes and hallucinations than you do when you're expanding text, right? And so of course, to yeah. me, like, that's kind of the, I, I guess I feel like I've been saying this a little bit the whole time, which is that we're in the command line phase of this and like the operating systems and the word processors and the spreadsheets for this stuff have like not even remotely been created yet. And so I, I just feel like we're just so crazy early and, um, you know, I do. I, I'm super worried that there's way, 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 way too much investment um, in this going on right now. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, you should be. Britt, where are you on LLMs? Um, I agree with Dave. And like, I think I'm still waiting for the copyright, you know, uh, hammer to, to fall and shoe to drop, whatever the analogy, the metaphor is. But like, I mean, our strike is still ongoing, right? Yeah, Hollywood's still on strike, um, which, which is great, but they are running out of time. We should do a countdown every week that we do this of like how much time they have left until they like run out of paychecks, because um, I think they had six months from when it started. But um, yeah, I just think I think like I'm. This is all like early innings because 
once that shift happens and it starts getting regulated and people get sued and copyright goes crazy, like we're in the Napster era, as we've talked about, then we'll have to see where we're at at that point. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think you guys need to rest. You have yeah. done a phenomenal job, but yeah. like you're fighting the Corona, you know? So does Sam um, get no more up. Viking of the football? And the so we already know where Sam stands. I don't know if he gets well, to I, mean, I will say the irony. I will say this. Oh, you though, will say. You will take this moment I will to say, say something. I yeah. will say <laughs> that, look, I probably. Our friends need to I rest. Am, I am sure that I, I have written checks for more chat GPT than any of you guys, because I actually got the notice that I have now broken a thousand dollars to spend uh, in the last like two weeks on LLMs. So despite my unbelievable skepticism consistently that there really are two use mm. cases, one is Dave's point, which is summarization. And the other is his brisk case, which is data theft, right? <laughs> uh, and data laundering. Like I, I agree. Those are the only use cases. What I would say and isn't that what you're paying like, for? You're paying for data laundering and summarization. I, I, am, I have paid more for data laundering um, than any of you guys taking the entire <laughs> internet, stripping it of copyright and then using it for my own purposes. For wait, I want to know so, one of your use cases of data laundering, fine. Sam. Can you give us an example? No, but it's they're, they're so good. They're so <laughs> wait, just <laughs> throw us one example. Nothing sketchy here. Don't yeah. look over here. But okay, no, maybe that has to be in the back channel, back channel. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me wonder. Everyone's going to the worst possible place in their minds, Sam, if you don't we give us We were talking about it in the back channel, back no, channel. Please, you guys can go look. Don't go there. Don't go there. But I would also say Sam raises an interesting point, which will be our final point for this episode, <laughs> which is I think we have to separate the hype around AI will not be realized, right? I, I think, but it doesn't mean that some of these things won't make a lot of money um, in sure. very specific well, or ways. A lot is relevant. They'll make some money. They'll make some money. Okay. It's useful backend infrastructure for some You're stuff. You're paying a thousand bucks to them. They're making probably have a potential to make more than. Some I don't know. Money, I think. I well, I don't know. I think what I'm paying a thousand bucks for probably cost them two thousand. But yeah, it is. Um... <laughs> oh. <laughs> Especially after they get sued. <laughs> the old bottom line. Okay, great to chat with you guys. Thank you to everyone for listening. As always, we have so much fun doing this. We love the feedback. We're grateful to our back channel. Um, we'll be back next week. Back to school. Back to the bay. Um, back to health great. for me have and a Dave. Good one. <laughs> back to health. Back to energy. Yeah, Feel better. Um, we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. See you guys. If you enjoyed this show, please leave us a virtual high five by rating it and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Find more information about each episode in the show notes and follow us on social media by searching for at more or less, at Dave Morin, at Lesson, at J Lesson, and as for me, I'm at Brit. See you guys next time. <laughs>